All right, guys, let's go to Proverbs chapter 8, shall we? And we'll finish up this chapter. We started this about a month ago, maybe more. It's hard for me to keep track of time. I just kind of mark time by how surprised at how late in the year I, it is, you know? Uh, and as we get closer to, you know, Christmas time and Thanksgiving time, I'm reminded of how our lives totally changed last year around that time with everything that happened with Remy. I'm, I'm sure I've told you guys this, but it's been like nine months, which means she's going to be nine months pretty soon here in three days. But uh, it was like we, we were sleepwalking for two weeks. And I'm not saying because, you know, you're bringing a new baby home. That's while she was in the NICU. We were told, don't expect her to come home anytime soon, right? And then there was some sort of miscommunication with the NICU and with our lawyer. And we were literally out shopping. And they said, she's coming home today. And that was two days after she was born. And that was just such a surprise to us because she had, you know, had jaundice and all these different things. She was, she was a tanning bed baby. She had the whole little, uh, you know, the little glasses on and stuff. <laughs> Cute, but, you know, you wanted her home. But when Christmas time, or when Thanksgiving happened, which was right in the middle of that first week, I, it did not even feel real. We felt so discombobulated with everything that I remember going to my wife's uh, uncle's property out in uh, Brooksville, and I just remember getting there, in, or Spring Hill, and I'm just, we're getting there, and we're saying hi to everybody, and it's like I'm looking at faces that, I can't even process what we're thinking about. And through that whole process, it reminds me of finding something that's stable, finding something that you can go back to that doesn't change with your emotions or change with your circumstances. And it drove me further into prayer. I, there, there have been many things that have happened in the last three years since 2020 that have happened in my personal life that have just two options have presented themselves, you know. It's either go to the Lord in prayer or go talk to somebody about it. And both of them involve communication, but only one of them involves communication with someone who can actually do something. And I've learned to pray in, in, in different ways, in different circumstances, and I'm getting a lot of, I, I feel content when I pray. That when I talk to God about something I'm not just bouncing something off of a wall. I'm, I'm talking to my Heavenly Father. There's a connection there. And I do get peace and joy and comfort from that. And so I look at the calendar right now and I say, goodness, we're halfway through August, September, October, November is right around the corner. And it's just, I, I, I am beyond amazed at how God has provided each and every day. And that's why I like studying this chapter. You know, a little tidbit in the beginning. It's like, oh, this is the longest personification of a characteristic in the Bible. And that's, you know, good Bible trivia. You can, you know, keep that in your pocket. But really, there's so much that we've unearthed here and dug out these little gems of knowledge. And last week we talked about how, you know, wisdom is the principle of creation, that wisdom is something that was not created. It is God. He possesses wisdom. He is that wisdom. And that wisdom was in his son. And we looked at Job and all the questions that God asked Job that today, in 2023, we still don't have answers to. I think it's, 
I think it's so amazing right now and very tone deaf that the politicians who support the idea of climate change are they're weaponizing what's happening in Maui, trying to push policy, trying to push reform. And you realize, like, I think it's over 100 people now that are dead. They're dead. And there's hundreds more who are missing. But there's, like, there's this, this, this desire to explain away the tragedies of the world to something that we humans control, right? Because we have control of everything, right? No. When's the last time you looked at the weather and it said 2% chance of rain and you can't walk outside because it's blinding rain? We try all the time to control things, but God is the one who is in control. He's the one who spoke these things into existence. And I think it's, it's really a reflection of man's pride, lack of humility, uh, defiant fist shaking at God that we think we're in control of everything. But God created these things just by his voice. There are some cool videos you can look up on YouTube of, you know, animations of Genesis. And it's, you know, these very talented computer animators. They animate the first three chapters of Genesis and they kind of show you like how, you know, let there be light and all these different things. And it's amazing to see what a computer can generate. But I often think when those videos pop up, what it must have really looked like when God spoke everything into existence. The detail. I saw a video today. It was an anatomy video, and it was talking about the complexity of the human brain. And there was this autopsy that was done, and this guy's body was donated for science. And I'm looking at this guy's... He's got this fully developed brain on a you know, lab table. And the doctors, blah, blah, blah. This is meningitis, blah, blah, blah. This is that, this is that. And so I go and I look at the comments and I see comments like, it's crazy to think, you know, this thing right here is, is everything that that man was. Like, it was all his memories and stuff. They're just waiting to be unleashed from there. That's not where his memories are. That, who we are is not up in this cranial capacity. We're spiritual beings created in the image of God. That's crazy. I looked at that comment and then I looked at replies and everyone's like, deep hashtag deep, you know? Like, people have just totally, I don't want to even say they've forgotten the idea that God's created things. There's a whole generation coming up that's not even being told that he created anything. They're not going to Sunday school. They're not learning these basic things. But you look at the complexity of the brain, it's amazing what it can do. They say the brain does not feel pain in brain surgery because it diverts those signals to other places to protect it. That just happened from, you know, two things colliding together, and here it is, this fully formed human body. There had to be wisdom in that. Wisdom beyond what you and I can do. I remember as a kid tracing. How many of you traced? Like, you would, you know, have a, a picture and you would trace over it. Okay, we all nail tracing, right? We could trace something, and then you remove the image, and you're like, wow, this looks good. Take the image away and try to redo that. And you have a very deformed, sad-looking stick figure. At least if if it's me. And that's what I can create. And look at what God created in just nature itself. It amazes you. And we studied that last week and the deep questions that were asked by Job. And his answer was, I know God. 
God has heard me. He got some bad advice from his friends. And at the end of the day, we closed last week about how God is the answer that we need. Not why, why, everything, all these different things. Just trust the Lord. And that's where we come to the conclusion of this chapter. I want you to join me here in Proverbs chapter 8, in verse 32, and we'll, we'll get through the chapter tonight. We're going to go in another spot in a minute here. Verse 32 says, Now therefore, hearken unto me. Whenever you see a wherefore or therefore, you should ask, what is it there for? Yes, that's totally a pun, and you've heard it before. But seriously, when, I, when you think about it, now therefore, what? what he's, th- there's a statement that is made here that's based off of what? Everything that we have studied in this chapter. How wisdom is the principle of creation. How it's available to everybody. How those who are foolish reject it. All these different things. This is the summary of the entire message that's being communicated to children, by the way. To young people. He says, Now therefore hearken unto me. To hearken is to listen. To yield and submit in a way that designates respect. Hearken unto me, O ye children. That always amazes me because, you know, this is written from the perspective of somebody who is going to have children and wants their children to grow up and do the right things. I saw a video today. It was very jarring. Um, I had no idea about this situation, but it was a sentencing video. It was from a courtroom and it got released. I think it had happened two days ago. And there was this teenage girl and she was driving and she intentionally wrecked the car to kill the passengers that she was with. And that happened. And I'm looking at this girl and I have no idea, but she looks completely innocent, right? And obviously she's not because she was guilty on every charge. But she's crying, her shoulders are shaking, and you just realize that one decision that she made and the judge who did an excellent job standing on the truth and letting justice be served said, you knowingly chose to do this. You chose to murder. And she used the, the names of the two boys that had died. And people around the world are kind of surprised by this, those who are paying attention, because they didn't expect her to be you know, uh, proclaimed guilty. They expected some type of plea or something like that, insanity, something along those lines. But the evidence proved out that what she did, she did it with intention. She's going to spend the rest of her life in jail. I look behind her and I see her parents uh, behind her in the, in the, in the audience. And, the, and her mother is covering her face. Her father, I think, was just deflecting because he kind of still had his arm, you know, like in a leisurely position. And I think maybe that was a way for him to just not process what's happening to his daughter. But I realized in that moment the truth of God's Word, that a child who's a fool brings shame to their parents. How much shame those parents have to carry. They, I, 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 and naturally, having a child myself, I thought, what would have to happen for my child to do something like that? How, how could that be my child? I think it's a healthy exercise because what you come down to is 
they go the way of the world. And, and the comments on that video were very good. They said, this needs to be shown in every high school classroom. And I agree. It's eight minutes of you watch this girl's life end because of choices she knowingly made. That level of accountability is gone in our culture today. Hortense was commenting on how hateful people are. That's because there's no accountability. People are getting away with doing sinful things. The sad thing is, is there's a lot of pedophiles that are looking at their sentences being done in a few years, and she was sentenced harsher than those people. Those people are trying to be protected in some states. How do we get to that point? You disobey 32. You do not hearken unto me. You do not listen and yield to wisdom. But look at the promise for those who do. For blessed are they that keep my ways. Now, you know, at Calvary, we teach the Bible, and the Bible says you don't have to keep your salvation because you didn't earn it. So it's simply putting your trust in Jesus Christ, and your salvation is done. However, however, for blessings now and rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, for how you will rule with the Lord, your obedience is directly linked to that. And these things, specifically the physical death that is talked about at the end of this chapter, will be true of you. But I'm a, I'm a, I'm a child of God. I don't have a sinful nature anymore. I've got a new nature. You still have a sinful nature. And God has not changed. That's the warning in Hebrews, by the way. If, if, if God who does not change punished unbelieving Israel in the wilderness as such, what makes you think that he would stop doing that? Now, we still can come under very severe consequences because of our sin. The point I want you to focus on here is to keep. It's something you have to do routinely. You have to stick to wise things. And if you don't, you'll wander. And you'll just keep coming into problems and dealing with things on your own and using your own strength. 33, hear instruction. By the way, how does one hear instruction? They have to be able to be under the sound of a teacher. Now some would say, oh, pastor, you mean you, don't you? Not necessarily. I just mean God's word. If you find a good pastor, they're only a good pastor because they teach the Bible. That's how you can hear instruction. There was always this joke at camp when we would be looking at our memory verse sheet, you know? There were lots of verses on there. That's how I first met Mr. Hernandez, by the way. He was the counselor, one of the counselors at camp. And all the other counselors, you know, they liked the idea of grace. So when I missed a word or put it in the wrong place, they were like, it's okay, you've got it. Mr. Hernandez, not that way. <laughs> Word perfect. And when we got to college, everything, the commas and the punctuation had to be correct. Now, I appreciate that. I really do. I'm not trying to make fun of him at all. But there was this idea that was said from, you know, the camp speakers when people were not memorizing verses, which, by the way, I was a camp counselor for many, many years, a winning a record as a team captain. You can lose every single game 
and you get 10 kids finish their whole packet, you don't just win, you totally destroy. I mean, it's like night and day. But these kids would think, and this was the joke, that they would tuck their memory verse sheet under their pillow at night, earnestly pray to the Lord, and lay their head down, and through the process of the night, it would just seep into their brains, and they'd wake up and all of a sudden be, you know, a spiritual Bible computing machine. They can just, you see their eyes flicker as they quote the verse to you. It doesn't happen that way, nor does it happen when we talk about hearing wise instruction. You've got to physically go to places. You've got to discipline yourself to be here when the preaching is happening or to be under the teacher when he's teaching. Hear instruction and what? Be wise, behave in a wise way and refuse it not. Refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me. These are guarantees you're seeing here. Look at 32 again. Blessed are they which... Keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. 35. For whoso findeth me, findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. Now that's all capital L-O-R-D. So we're talking about God's name here. But look at 36. This is an if-then thing. We learned this in geometry, I think, right? If you obey and follow after wisdom, you find it, you find life. What does that mean? I don't think it means eternal life necessarily. I think it means you're going to have a longer life here. Why? Because you're not going to be putting yourself in situations that would cause an early death. And that's exactly what 36 says. But he that sinneth against me. What does it mean to sin against wisdom? It means to be a fool. To be somebody who rejects the teaching of wisdom. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. Boy, that's a strong statement. I could see people saying, no, I don't. That's no. But if you're not willing to obey wisdom, then you must love death. How? Because that's going to be your end. And we can see this as an application to the gospel. Isn't the gospel full of wisdom? It's something that God has communicated to us through the word and that he's offered his son. You'd be a fool to reject that, and people reject it every day. I was driving down Limeball the other day, coming up on Henderson, going to make my left-hand turn. I think Kyla was in the car with me. I, I think she was because we talked about this. And here comes this Subaru just, I mean, going real fast. And there was this bumper sticker on the back, big enough for me to see it with this person going so fast. And it says, born again pagan. And I just, I came to the stoplight, right? And I look at Kyla and I said, did you see that? She said, no, what are you talking about? And I said, that guy just had a license or a bumper sticker that said born again pagan. And I, I thought to myself, this is what I told my wife. I said, I, I might never know who he is. I will probably never see that man in my life. And the one opportunity he has to communicate something about himself to me is his prideful and arrogant 
boasting of being a heathen. I just thought, what leads people to do that? Why are people so loudly against God? I don't see... I mean, you do see Christian license plates like that and bumper stickers like that, but they're not in a prideful or boastful way. My least favorite one, and my apologies to you if you have this on your car, but the one that says, Jesus is my co-pilot. Can I be the co-pilot? <laughs> you know? Can he be the pilot, right? Let, can I just be a passenger? <laughs> you know? Can I just be baggage? You know, like... But I just, it amazed me at how brass people are, brash in their proclamation that they, they hate God and they hate people who love him. That's not a natural thing. I don't see many campaigns to stop Buddhists or Hinduists or Muslims at this point. Oh, but the Christians, that's dangerous. No, no, shh, you can't do that. I remember when I was in uh, Ranch as the director... I had to jump through so many hoops to start an FCA club at Alonzo. I had to get two students and get waivers signed and then get a proper spot confirmed and they had to, they had to, I had to send in what I was going to say. Now, I'll be honest with you, I changed what I was going to say. But you know what they told me I could not say? I could not say anything about hell, anything about heaven, nothing that would bring judgment on the students. Couldn't use Jesus' name, I could say God. Oh boy, I went in there with the script, you know, and all that, and I just, I forgot about the script, so I used the wallet gesture. And I gave the gospel and had a great conversation with the kids. I never got invited back. But you can start a satanic school club now. No problem. Zero problem. What's your First Amendment right? I mean, people that reject wisdom, they love death. They love the idea of playing it close. You've seen a phrase here, blessed, blessed. I want you to look in Psalms chapter 1. You can hold your spot here in in Proverbs. I want you to look in Psalms chapter 1. Come on. This is a new Bible, so those pages are sticking. Look at what this says in Proverbs chapter, or excuse me, Psalms chapter 1 and verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. If a man is blessed here, and we know from Proverbs chapter 8 that a man who follows wisdom is also blessed. What are, what are true of both of these individuals? They follow after wisdom. It's a wise thing to avoid, look at the verse again, the counsel of the ungodly, the way of sinners, and the seat of the scornful. You probably remember this as you were growing up, especially in high school, and all these little situations would come up. Someone said something to this person or something happened and everybody's da-da-da-da-da about it. And everybody wants to throw in their what? Their two cents, right? You get some advice. I'm sure you've gotten some poor advice from ungodly people. 
you may have even taken that advice. That's not a wise thing to do. Hopefully you learn from that. We learn from that. And then we seek what kind of counsel? Godly counsel. Counsel that's rooted in wisdom. Not in the heart of man. Look at the next thing here. Standeth in the way of sinners. The way of sinners is a direction. It's a path that people do. And I remember this path. I remember going to HCC, Hillsborough Community College, and thinking this is 13th grade and everybody's drinking and smoking. I, I, I noticed that right away. Kids I saw in high school picked up habits that they never had, but now that they have freedom, they go to indulgence. They just run to it. I took note of that. And I thought, why is it that that's the thing you do now because you're an adult? When you turn 21, people think we need to automatically go out and go to a Bible study, right? No. You need to go drink because you can drink now. Woo! Don't follow that way. You don't want me to have fun. Uh, I don't want you to be putting yourself in a position where you are going to be chastened by God. Now, if you think that's fun, maybe you should find out. (laughs) But there's been a lot of people that have died at the hands of a drunk driver. Why run that risk? Why even run the risk of putting yourself in a situation like that? Oh, this is rules. You're judging. I'm not judging. There's there's a clear decision that we have to make. And we continue to face these kinds of decisions. If you can start filtering these choices into one of two categories, godly or ungodly, you're going to be making a lot more informed decisions. Look at verse 2. Sorry, the end of verse 1. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. This is to have fellowship with those who scorn others, who scorn God. They rail against Him. You shouldn't even be fellowshipping with those people. But His delight is in the law of the Lord. Where is His happiness? Where is His joy? This guy's just a monk. He doesn't do anything fun. No, He delights in the Word of God. Oh, so He's a Bible nerd. No, the Bible says he's a wise man. Ooh, that's interesting. Because the world would say he's a loser. He doesn't have any experience, which is so vital. Young people today are looking for pure partners, but they have no purity in themselves. They're looking for something that they do not model in themselves. And then as soon as they see a young person who's successful... You know what the trend is nowadays? They go after their skin color. They go after their appearance. As soon as you find out somebody's a Christian, oh, 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 Tim Tebow's a Christian? You can't do the, you know, sorry, we're the NCAA and we decided no more Bible verses on the uh, I, I stuff anymore. Why? Was it because when Tebow did it, it was offensive to people? I don't remember the stats because I'm pulling this up in my mind right now, but... There were a lot of hits on the verses he had on his face. I think it was in one of the national championships or one of the big games when the University of Florida played meaningful football. Ugh, that was a long time ago. All right, Tom, that's enough. All right. <laughs> but that was, 
he used his influence in a, in, in a godly way, and automatically everyone suffered as a result of it. You know? In the NFL, he, was not, he did not translate well to NFL. Like a lot of college quarterbacks, you get exposed for, you know, being in the system you are. But he found success in some way. And it wasn't because he was a great passer, but he'd run down to the end zone and he would kneel and he would pray. Can't do that anymore. Did you know that? That if, if NFL players kneel during an end zone celebration, they can be fined? You know when that happened? Because a Christian started doing it. We can't have that. We can't have that. You go listen to Tim Tebow speak. His dad spoke here at a Grace Conference one year. You go listen to how that man carries himself. He's full of joy and delight. You know why? He's a man of the word. Kept himself pure until marriage. What? Someone like Tim Tebow? No way. Yeah. Ooh. Why is that weird in our culture today? Because everybody's going the way of the sinner. But you find out that Men of God, they're highly sought after by our culture. They don't know, the culture doesn't know why. And as soon as people find out they're Christians, it's like, ugh, I knew it. But purity, uprightness, righteousness, people are craving for it, but they don't want it from God. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. What does it mean to Meditate. Does that mean you got crisscross applesauce? Did the little, you know, that's not what it means. It means he focused on and prayed the word of God. He disciplined himself to the knowledge of it. A lot of people think that meditation involved reciting God's word. Because people of that day, especially those who studied the law, they had to memorize large portions of it, if not all of it. I, I can't think of something better to do when I'm facing temptation than to actually say the Word of God. To let my ears hear what God has said. And it, it's another step of, are, do, are you sure you really want to do this? Are, God's Word says this. Are you still sure? It's a reminder, because we need reminders. And he shall be like, verse 3, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his, uh, his fruit in his season. I've always been interested by that verse. This is a tree that produces to the benefit of others. What does it mean by in his season? It does what it's supposed to do when it's needed. This is not the late bloomer, the early bloomer. This is the one who has proper growth, and God can use him. Why? Because this man has disciplined himself to do what God's Word says. He has sought after wisdom... And avoided the way of sinners, the seed of the scornful, the counsel of the ungodly. As Proverbs 8 says, which we'll get back to in a minute, excuse me, in a minute, where it says, sitting at the gates, standing at the posts. This is somebody who is eager to learn. They're, they're motivated to learn. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper, and the world takes aim. How can we knock this man down? No doubt you've heard about the allegations happening in the baseball team with this player, 22 years old, all these allegations, not going to get into it. 
You know, he would not be facing those situations if he walked in a path of wisdom. There'd be no way for you to have any kind of relationship like that if you were saving yourself before marriage. The scary thing is, is that teenagers can make decisions before they're even 18 years old that could affect their future. I saw that today with that girl. Her life is over. Her face will be on a, a YouTube thumbnail for as long as the platform is on there. She'll be used as an example. I had great sorrow watching her life end in that way. But it's also a strong warning to cling to wisdom. That could be you. That could be me. And we'd have no one to blame but ourselves. But how do we avoid that? Parents who have children, how do you avoid that for your kids? You teach them the word and you live it. You demonstrate what you hold as the standard. It's what God does. Let's go back to Proverbs chapter 8 and we'll close there. Now that we've read Psalms 1, 1 through 4, I want you to see this in a new, not in a new light, but with a fresh perspective. Read verse 32. Now therefore, hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways, hear instruction, and be wise, and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoso findeth me wisdom, findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. When you think about what we just read in Psalms 1, this is a nice compliment to each other. Speaking on wisdom, speaking on understanding. And really, I, I think the focus of this chapter is the, are, are those last two verses. You find wisdom, you're going to find life. If you hate wisdom, then you must love death because that will be your end. The Bible teaches in the New Testament specifically that the believer who is wicked and carnal and will not change his ways will face a death here, physically. Praise God that His grace is, over to, uh, is able to overcome and save that person's soul because of their faith in Jesus Christ. But I think there must be some type of significance, some massive importance at the judgment seat of Christ. It's got to be worth all the warnings that we see in the New Testament. I don't think people realize what they're forfeiting when they live after sin, even after they're saved. But as 36 says, it can have a second application, and that would be spiritual death. Because the person who lives without ever trusting in Christ and loves wickedness, loves the foolish stuff, and they die without trusting in Christ, they have experienced the first death, and they will experience the second death. And that's a sad thing. That's, that's a tragedy. You you can close your Bibles. I saw a video this, I think it was on Monday. It was while I was waiting for my 
car to be put back together. We had it analyzed for brakes. And there has been this new development as far as images and the sun. Have any of y'all seen this? There's a telescope that is able to zoom in amazing detail and, and look at the sun. And I was looking at this and it said a 16 by 9 frame of the surface of the sun zoomed in is, is like 55,000 miles in that. And in one pixel, one pixel, it's about 11 miles that you're looking at the surface of the sun. It's like six miles to my house from here. <laughs> I can't imagine something that large, you know. And my mind thought for a moment how hot the sun is, how intense it is, how there'd be no way for us to even explore it. You'd be incinerated, you know. The reality is that there is a place worse than the surface of our sun. Worse than that. Where people will spend an eternity separated from God with a body where, as Jesus describes it, where their worm dieth not. If that's a reality and hell is real, what are we doing with our time? What is important? What is more important than winning people to Christ or living lives that demonstrate Christian discipline and using the time that we have to go and proclaim the gospel? I don't support lifestyle evangelism, but you shouldn't live like the people you're trying to reach in sinful wickedness. shouldn't do that either. I think we need to wake up. I think we need to realize the danger that people face every day they live without trusting in Christ. That should be uneasy. That, that should make us feel we need to reassess our priorities. You need to grab more tracks. The rack is full. You need to pray for people and actually start putting legs on those prayers and starting conversations, go do it. Perish the thought of an offense. But I saw that, those pictures, the surface of the sun, and I thought, hell is so much worse. And you see these images, these videos that come out, and it's just like a boiling surface, and you think, oh, to throw somebody into that? And it would be worse and right now, you throw them into the sun, they just, you know, they'll burn up. Imagine enduring that. For a minute, imagine that. One minute. And now eternity? Man. We need to share the gospel. We need to avoid the foolish path that disqualifies us from Service disqualifies us from being used by God. That's why it's a great comfort when we think of Sandy. That there's no chance that she's there at all. Why? Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. This hand to represent you and me and my wallet, sin. Put this on top of my hand because we've all sinned. Our sin separates us from God. Payment for sin is death. Eternal separation from God forever in that hell which we've just described here tonight. No amount of good works can save you. You have to be perfect. You can't turn enough, start enough, stop enough, give enough to pay for this sin. Somebody's got to die for it. This hand will represent Jesus Christ. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You want to avoid that surface of the sun? You want to avoid eternal separation from God? You need a payment for your sin. Jesus died in your place and shed his blood, rose again three days later, and paid that price. Pastor, how do I receive that? You simply believe that what he did was for you. The moment that you do, righteousness is put to your account. The Bible word is imputed. You become justified, declared righteous in the courtroom of God. And that lasts forever. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That'll never change. Will you go to uh, the Lord in, in prayer with me, please? If you're watching on the internet and that made sense to you tonight, I'd like to pray for you. Let us know. Leave a comment. We'll be more than happy to reach out to you. Folks, I want you to just think about the the precious element that you have in the life you're living right now and the opportunity that you have, the influence that is available. I just want to strongly remind you, find wisdom, find life. Stay away from the seat of the scornful, from the way of the sinner, from the counsel of the ungodly. Cling to the word and give the gospel. Give it. Father, thank you for your word. Bless the food that we're about to have together in the kitchen here. In Jesus' name we pray these things.